Welcome to the Before the Stage podcast. This is a podcast where we go behind the scenes of the classical music industry to see what an artist's life is before the stage. Hi everyone, on today's show, I interviewed Ken Kubota. He is a classical cellist based out of New York who studied at Juilliard. He currently runs a YouTube channel called JHM Jams where he brings different musicians on and collaborates with them on pop covers all by ear, as well as he's in a small chamber group called Empire Wild where they play all different types of genres and it's quite an awesome group as well. All right, let's go to the show. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to be joined today with Ken Kubota. He's a cellist in Empire Wild. That's a group that fuses all different genres and styles of music together and with all of their classical backgrounds. And it's really awesome to listen to their music. And he also runs JHM Jams. That is also a fusion of different styles of music with his classical background with colleagues and friends. He posts videos twice a week on YouTube. Essentially, he does everything with musical styles, and you may know him as the cellist who pizzicatos a lot um, like and holds the cello like a guitar. Yes. I don't know. I had to say that. Yeah, it's like it everywhere. Has, it has definitely started to become a brand, yeah. Yeah, it has. It's definitely part of your brand. <laughs> So anyway, I'm really excited to interview him today. So Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I guess you can just kind of share your journey of starting cello to where you are now. Uh, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. Grew up with musical parents. My mom's a pianist. My dad's a flute player. He's an amateur. Um, they met playing chamber music at this amateur chamber music program. Super cute. And they played together. I guess they fell in love, whatever the romantic love story is there. So I grew up with a lot of chamber music in my family, um, and I always got jealous. I wanted to be a part of this fun thing where people were making music together and seemingly having a great time. So that eventually led to me trying a bunch of instruments and then landing on the cello, which they needed because they needed a low register instrument. So the first option was actually a bassoon, but that didn't work out. So then the second option was a cello. And that's kind of how I started. And then from there on, I started playing. And what really kind of reeled me into that world was chamber music. I built a lot of my social base around the friends that I played music with. So it wasn't just a chore or an extracurricular thing, but it was very much a central part of my social life. So I got addicted and I made a lot of friends through that. And I wanted to continue doing that. So I decided to pursue it seriously. And then I auditioned to a whole bunch of schools, got into Juilliard. uh, And it was my dream school. So I was super excited, went there for my undergrad, and then realized how not good, I guess, I was compared to the big world that was out there. (laughs) Oh, no. So, you know, that's definitely a nice wake up call to show up at a school kind of feeling pretty good about yourself. Because I think a lot of people going to college there, they tend to be one of the better ones in the small town that they're from. And then you show up and everybody is the best from their small town. And it's overwhelming a little bit and doesn't help that you're a freshman. 
and there's all these upperclassmen that's way better than you. So it was definitely a rocky start, but I definitely gained a lot of friends uh, through a lot of the collaborative chamber music, survived my undergrad, got into master's, went back with the same teacher, did another two years. But during grad school, I struggled quite a bit with not enjoying the music that I was playing. A lot of it was coming from a place of fear. The reason I was hitting the practice room was just all fueled from some kind of fear-based thing. I burned out pretty quickly and I wasn't really enjoying it. So it was either I quit or I continue my life as a cellist. And I had to ask myself, you know, when, when did I really enjoy playing the cello in my life? Or when do I enjoy the cello the most? And I came to the moments where I found myself being the happiest when I was in jam sessions or just, you know, fooling around with friends, doing sight reading parties, all of these environments where it literally didn't matter if you nailed it or not. You know, if if you nailed it, people cheered. If you messed up, they <laughs> laughed, you know, and I we laughed that. together. You know, it was a really nice kind of communal feeling that I felt like I was lacking in my music making aspect of going there. So I started this series, JHM Jams, in my attempt to try to recreate those moments and kind of take a step away from classical music because I was just associating classical music heavily with the, the work aspect of what I had to do as a musician. So I kind of took a step away from that to dive into pop and jazz, which had no standards for myself because I didn't study it. So I didn't have any expectation of myself and then could jam with my friends like a sight reading session. So I really found myself really happy and thriving in that environment. And I awkwardly kind of kept that up for like five years <laughs> and here we are. So that's kind of the relatively short story of how I got here. And then the Empire Wild came from JHM where I invited both Mitch and uh, Brandon who are my other two members in the band to a JHM Jam session. Uh, and we did a handful together and we realized that we worked really well together and there wasn't much need for communication during the arrangement process or the performance aspect of things. So we're like, hey, you know, this is really nice. This works. So why don't we try, you know, maybe start a band and write our own music and see what happens. So we started that kind of casually and then kept that up. And then we awkwardly won a competition. So now... <laughs> yeah, you did that recently. <laughs> yeah. So then that like little passion project now turned into like a real thing. And we're like, oh, whoa. So I guess now we got to actually step up and <laughs> gotta get this, you know, to a professional level. So a lot of this, you know, JHM and Empire Wild included, were just passion projects that awkwardly turned into something much more serious. And now, you know, we are in the midst of it and trying to see if we can make that a part of our life for the long term. So we'll see what comes out of it. But that's kind of where we are. That is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When I saw you guys like win the competition, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, we wait. were we were surprised too. We were like, <laughs> we, we I mean, we applied casually. We're like, oh, I mean, why not? You know, we don't really have anything to lose right now, so might as well just kind of throw our hat in the ring and 
oops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> it's a good accident though. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's an excellent accident. We are all super, super happy that it happened in the community. The team at CAG is incredibly supportive and our manager is super fun to work with. And he's a former cellist. So he really kind of understands us and it's it's nice. It was pleasant to go into it with such like-minded you know, people and such a supportive community. And the rest of the artists on the roster too are such cool people. Oh yeah. So we got we got super lucky. We're very happy. That's so cool. Yeah. And then like the new video that came out, everything. I'll probably link that. <laughs> awesome. Just hearing your story about how you kind of are like, well, I enjoy this less serious way of playing because classical music can get very intense. And then you pursued something that just you're like, well, I feel just so much like, I guess, happier playing this. And and then I've always loved chamber music, you know, playing with friends. I really love those environments. So you've done a lot of content creation. And I just want to ask, what is your favorite part of it and least favorite part? Yeah. So uh, at least for JHM Jams, the pre-pandemic JHM Jams, when we were doing everything live, the things that I liked then were much more of, I guess, the song selection, you know, because I have the control in picking what song. So then I can kind of fantasize about what kind of cool thing could come out of it. And then the actual arranging and then the playing together is always a lot of fun. The things that I don't really like is the administrative part, right? Like the contacting and texting like every musician that I know and being like, hey, do you want to cover this song? Are you free on this day? Like, what are your timeframes that you're available? And doing that like endlessly every week is definitely a lot of work. The editing part is not that fun either. Like the audio editing part is not that exciting. The video editing part for live ones wasn't that exciting either. But since we hit the pandemic, obviously we couldn't do things in person anymore. So we started doing a lot of things virtually. Then the the things that made it exciting for me then shifted a little bit to selecting the song is always Fun. It's also a little stressful because I keep running out of songs that I want to cover. But if I were to find a song, then the virtual process of doing JHM Jams is that I send it to somebody first and I just tell them that we are going to cover this song and you can do whatever you want. Like you're the first one, lay down a group, usually like a drummer or a keyboard player or somebody in the rhythm section. And then they do whatever they want. They send it back to me. Then I send it to the next person and they listen to what they did and do whatever they want on top of it. And it just keeps getting stacked until it's done, essentially. So the fun part is for me to hear the culmination of everybody's arranging intuitions, because I don't lead the arrangement, really. My arrangement is really minimal in that, maybe like the song, picking that, and then maybe like the general form. This will be the length of the song, this was the form. And like the last part is, deciding who is playing melody or who's kind of doing the supportive roles. But other than that, I let them do whatever they want. That's cool. So it's really, it's really exciting for me to get back the tracks each time. And then the excitement of stacking that new track on top of the old one and then listening it to that for the first time is really cool because it's nothing that I can really anticipate. And every time I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. Like, why are my friends so talented? And then I send it off and I get the next track and I stack that on top of the other two. And I'm like, whoa, this is turning out to be so cool. 
And just kind of repeating that process is always such a cool moment for me. And it's always fun for the first person that always records because they get to hear it last too. So like, you know, for the drummer, they like play their drum track. So the only thing they know so far is what their drum track sounds like, but they don't know all the harmony and the textures and the melody will sound like on top of their thing. So that's always, I think, a really fun part in a discovery. It's almost kind of like every time, like getting a Christmas present and just kind of opening that kind of like feeling is when I received the track from my musicians. And then the other fun part for me became the video editing part, doing the remote sessions, because then I get everybody's videos. So I have to like edit it and then, you know, do the cuts, do the animations and essentially make a music video out of it. Initially, it was a pain in the butt. But once I like learned how to manipulate the program, then it became more fun because then that was another creative aspect that I had control over and how I wanted the music to be seen was a lot of fun. The not so much fun part of the editing is just like the the labor intensive, just like audio syncing and then color correcting and color grading part is not fun, but the actual cutting and the animating part is much more exciting. So I guess it depends, you know, whether if it's a virtual situation or an in-person situation, but always, you know, the most fun part is when you are actually playing. That's so cool how you send it off and it becomes like layers on top of layers. It's Great, because it's a lot less work on my end, because I'm really bad at, I'm not a good arranger is the thing. You know, like a lot of my videos, they turn out to be cool arrangements, but that's like not my doing so much. You know, I just collected the people and then they're just so talented that they make it work. It's a blessing to be surrounded by really cool people. It's definitely a really easy part on my end because I don't have to work that hard on the arranging part. Because, yeah, I'm not that great of an <laughs> arranger. I suck at notation. So, like, if I were to, like, actually write out an arrangement, it would take me five years. It would be a disaster. So, so you go a lot by ear, I'm guessing, then, with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, so nothing nothing is written down. It's part of the JHM Jams uh, culture. It's just we do it by ear. We listen to it, and we just kind of do a really approximate rendition of it, and then we put it out in the world. So That's so cool. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> that it sounds like a great, great thing. I've always enjoyed listening to them. And I'm just like, how did everyone come up with this? <laughs> like... Yeah, I have no idea either. They're just brilliant. It really does help to have jazz musicians in the mix because oh, yeah. that's that's kind of the in their wheelhouse. They're pros at that. So literally, if you give them a groove... And if I send it to a pianist and be like, hey, you know, like this is the general form. Sorry, there's only like four chords, but you can do whatever you want, you know, and then they would reharmonize it. They would like change up the feel of it. And I'm like, OK, that's super fire. Thanks so much. Kind of like thing. It's just like I could have never done that. So I'm super happy that you can, you know, kind of like things. So every time jazz musicians, I'm like mind blown how how they come up with their stuff, because I'm definitely a. Uh, normal classical musician with like no experience <laughs> yeah definitely something i want to get stronger on because i'm like it's just how they get that freedom mm -hmm. most definitely they just get so i feel like they <laughs> this sounds really yeah voodoo but they sound like they become one with their instrument <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's quite amazing i feel like you know 
I I really think they they take chamber music to a whole new level when they're yeah. playing with another one another, you know. And I'm just constantly blown away at like how how much they are listening, you know, to yeah. what's going on and how aware they are to what's really kind of happening. So you know, I think classical musicians have a lot to learn. Didn't classical music kind of start off improvised? Oh yeah, most definitely. <laughs> there were. I don't know where that got lost in our art form, but definitely not a norm anymore, which is a shame. It was a very normal thing for composers back then to be improvisers. That was part of their practice. And uh, no longer, but uh, we could slowly bring it back. For those who are kind of starting, maybe they want to record stuff, you know, jam with their friends or something. Um, do you have any tips as they're like sharing and sharing stuff with others, you know, any tips for that journey? Yeah. Often when people start creating, I sometimes see that the motivation of why they're starting to create something is coming from the wrong place. They either start because they feel like they have to for whatever reason, or they feel like they're getting some kind of ex external pressure, extrinsic pressure to start doing something. Um, or I don't know, maybe it's the pandemic and they are forced into a situation where they're like, oh, no, like I have to do something and I guess I'll try this. But you have to make sure that whatever you do end up starting, you know, comes from that place of like, is this something I'm passionate about? Like, does this make me happy? You know, because at the end of the day, whatever you do end up choosing it's all going to be hard to sustain. And then you're always going to hit these roadblocks or obstacles or hurdles. And it's hard. Um, but as long as you it's something that you enjoy, then that that process, when you hit those rough patches, is worth it. And it, you're less likely to burn out. That's something that you have to make sure that you are constantly asking yourself in the process of being a creator. Is this the kind of creator that makes myself happy? You know, is a good place to start. And then the it kind of connects to, I think a lot of the success comes from how consistent you are. You know, I think uh, there's so many creators that I've seen where they come up with this brilliant idea and they just like start it. And then like a few weeks later, they just kind of fizzle out. And they're like, not there anymore. So consistency is one of the, I feel like such a difficult thing. Us musicians, we know that this is difficult because, you know, to get to where we are now, you know, from the consistent practice that we've been doing through our years, it's no easy task. If it makes you happy and if it's something that you love, then the chances are higher that you will be able to continue long-term because when you do something for a longer time, you're building trust and credibility with the audience and with yourself. So the more that you're able to sustain it, the chances of it succeeding or you just improving drastically increases, I think. Making sure that you're not distracted by success that appears everywhere on social media or just like the people around you. Generally, it's always that when you're seeing people's success stories, it's always their highlight reel. And when you, you're usually consuming other people's highlight reel, you're usually at a low point in the day. 
you know, whether if you're like haven't done anything that day and you're rolling around on your bed and you're kind of like feeling guilty about yourself, then you see everybody like doing all these amazing things, you know, and then you're yeah. like, wow, I'm like such a terrible kind of human being. So, you know, you do have to keep that perspective like really real. Like people are posting generally when things are going well for them or like when they're proud of something and they work hard for something. So making sure that you know, behind the scenes, it's a lot of really mundane <laughs> work, you know, don't, don't get caught up in the, the heroic narrative that is usually presented, whether like, kind of like in documentaries, or in social media, or podcasts, even, you know, we, we often focus on these, like, highlights of our life that, you know, kind of, that got us there, you know, it might be like, hey, we had this event A, and then we did all this thing and we got to this event B that led to C and boom, like great success. But, you know, between that point A and B could be like years of just like you rolling around in bed being like, wow, like, what is my value in society? Like, what am I doing with my life? But, you know, people don't really see that part, you know, of the struggle. So I think keeping that perspective really kind of close to your heart and that little bit of work that kind of adds up it's the compound interest you know that's good the culmination of the little things that i think really will help you build the foundation and the structure to be able to thrive and succeed and not be toppled down by gusts of wind that might come your way is probably what i would recommend that was really good <laughs> yeah i think i think tiktok has been a great eye-opener about how fleeting like success can be versus like you know somebody can go viral so quickly with that i mean it's a great app if you really want to grow or something but it's also like you know, somebody has some random TikTok that just like blew up and then you go back and you're like, nothing is about this anymore. No, it's really funny. TikTok is, it's an incredible uh, platform right now for like the, the statistics of you hitting something viral is the highest of any other apps that's on the market right now. And I've definitely have friends uh, where I don't know if you know Nathan Chan. Oh yeah, uh, the yeah. Chalice, yeah. But his his one of his TikTok went viral, and it was a Costco pizza. Yeah. Where you know, like the sauce was just like going on the, I guess, the dough, and then you know that was it, and it blew up. But like his page has nothing to do with like a Costco pizza, and like I was talking to him, and he's he feels a little stuck sometimes. He's like, wow, so like all these people are now following me because of this pizza TikTok, but this is not who I am. So like, what, <laughs> what do I do? But you know, like, it is funny how it works out that way. But yeah, it is a very fleeting thing. Because yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of people succeed. And then like, for a while, like, nothing really happens. So not getting affected by the numbers, you know, whether if it's TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, too much um, is, I think, very, very important we often get so caught up in that, that we start to define our value in the numbers. And it we shouldn't, you know, yeah, I mean, it's good for research, maybe like the analytics and just kind of figuring out maybe what kind of 
things you can be doing or figure out your target or the kind of content you can be creating, but, you know, not letting it define you, you know, yeah. in your values. I think that's when I made, like, when I finally made a switch, like, on my head, because I was just doing practice videos <laughs> on my Instagram. And I was just like, I don't really like doing this, like, the way I was doing it. And and then I was, like, getting caught up, like, I lose five followers, gain five. You know, it's just, like, this yeah, constant yeah. <laughs> annoying teeter-totter of, yeah, you lose three, gain one or something. Yeah, it's no, just like... tell me about it. That's my entire life, you know. I mean, like, all the time, I'm losing hundreds at a time. Yeah. You know? So and, it's endless. Yeah, but then when I actually decided, I was like, no, I just want to use this to connect with people I can't connect with normally, especially right now. And suddenly, like, it. I mean, it just made it more valuable for me to be on there because I was talking with people like that lived in Europe and yeah, obviously I'm not in Europe. So. <laughs> and it yes. just it just made it like and then I could talk to them about, you know, music and violin, and, you know, and just like their career and just building relationships with people that you can't normally build relationships with. You're like, wow, this tool is actually super powerful if you stop staring at your numbers <laughs> so. it's so true you know what you're mentioning i i'm i feel the exact same way where because of this platform that i decided to put myself on i've met so many people that i would have never have met you know i've collaborated with people that i normally wouldn't have been able to reach out you know to or in my classical musician, for me to even collaborate with jazz musicians on a regular was not normal. Even if I want to, like, what is my reason? Be like, hey, want to read like some Mozart string quartets with me? You know, trumpet player? <laughs> you know, that's not, you know, so like it, it, it was a great reason for me to just like find an excuse to reach out to people and just like get connected and like become part of a community was definitely a really fulfilling part and one of the greatest assets of the platforms is the is the people the community that you get to meet it's not the numbers it's the people not the numbers don't get caught up in the numbers it's a dangerous thing that's a rabbit hole <laughs> it really is wow that's a great that's some great advice right there okay um what are like three small tidbits of advice for people who are kind of I mean, because I'd say you've kind of like chased your dreams, you've fallen into something, you know, you're super passionate about creating um, these videos with like, you know, jamming with friends and mm -hmm. from your love to chamber music to now Empire Wild. So right. what is your advice for people who kind of feel lost and, and are just wanting to do something in music and what actions, you know, or changes? Right. I think the it's always the question of like, <laughs> What is, what is your purpose in like this world or this society? And you have to kind of figure out what your, what your talents are, what you're good at, what makes you happy. And then trying to figure out if those things can benefit another person, you know, and if you can figure out a way to make that work, then there's a lot of value revolve your content creation around the things that make you happy and the talents that you have to things that may benefit another human being on the other side of the screen is I think a great place to start. So the content that you create, you know, trying to see, am I, am I providing some kind of value 
you know, is it like an active content or is it a passive content, you know, passive content being that, you know, people just kind of watch and scroll through without really gaining anything from them consuming your content versus, you know, when they consume your content, did they walk away with something is I think a great place to start, not just in content creation, but just as a human being in society. Another thing that I feel like people get a little stuck on is equipment. They're like, if I don't have these things, then like, I'm not going to be a good creator. <laughs> you know, it's really not true. There's, I mean, I started JHM just on an iPhone on a music stand. Wow. You know? Yeah, like <laughs> that was that. literally the only thing I had, you know. And so I think, you know, not being afraid to start with the gear that you have and already the gear that you have, like the phones already have incredible cameras. The microphone's like fine and it's like good enough for like Instagram, right? Like, so I think being not afraid to just start with a lot of mediocre content, I think the the best way to kind of think about it is that, you know, creativity or content creation or just the process of you getting somewhere, you have to turn on the faucet and let the muddy water run out of the faucet first. And that's always just kind of like the first step, like the first handful of things that you're going to do is probably going to be mediocre. It's not going to be the best thing that you create. You know, you can't go in it, you know, expecting that the first video that you create is going to be one of the best videos that you've seen on YouTube or like one of your favorite YouTubers kind of level, you know, when you always kind of like go all the way back into the archives, like the beginning videos are, you know, generally relatively mediocre and it's like not that great, but you see the kind of progression. And so I think keeping that in mind, it's not, it's not so much the equipment, but it's the content. You know, at the end of the day, it's the storytelling. What are you really telling? The story, the the developments, the progression, you know, and then becoming invested in your journey is much more valuable than, oh, look, this video is 4K. You know, it's at the end of the day, if, if it's, it's 4K, but the content is like not great, then it's just mediocre 4K, you know, at the end of the day. So I think that. And then this third bit is just general health is something that I am trying to always stay conscious of whether you want to become a content creator or not, or, you know, you just want to be a musician or you just want to, you have big ambitions and you want to do projects. It's all stemmed from, do you have the energy to be able to do it? Do you have the bandwidth to be able to do it? So really kind of making sure first and foremost, like, are you taking care of your mental and physical health, like what you can to keep that at a healthy place? Because if you do, then really, you have a lot of energy to be able to do what you want, and invest a lot of time into it. Because most of us, you know, when we first start content creation, it's not a full time job. So we we're usually doing a lot of other things, maybe we're a full time student, or you have a full-time job, and then you're just trying to find a little bit of time to put out content. But if, you, if you're not taking good care of yourself, then you know, you're not going to have the energy to want to do it, even though if you want to. So I think that's really important. You know, Eat well, exercise, drink lots of water. You know? It's such a basic thing, but I've noticed you know, in, my, in my life the, the difference of when I'm taking good care of my mental and physical health versus when I'm not. And then the kind of 
energy that I have to be able to bust out content is really different. I mean, to create content just takes so much energy on all fronts. So making sure that you are prepping your soul and your body to be able to to be able to do it is I think I think something that we underestimate I think a lot especially when we're younger we feel like we can just kind of push through you know on very little sleep and like very unhealthy lifestyle and then you know you just kind of make it work but not going to last very long no yeah. it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely a struggle but that's that would be my third tip probably <laughs> take care of yourself <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's funny how I've I've just I have so many friends around me that don't, you know, funnily enough. And, you know, it's a it's such a basic thing. You gotta you gotta be alive first to be a creator. You know? <laughs> that's very important. <laughs> that's a that's a good first step. To be a creator, still be breathing, you know, and be healthy. Still be breathing, still be eating, drink yeah. your water, drink your get water, some sleep. Get some sleep. Yeah. Super important. Super important. <laughs> oh, I guess to kind of wrap things up, I have some closing questions. I think this first one might be a little difficult for you to answer. But what is your favorite form of music? I guess you could answer ensemble-wise or style. <laughs> yeah, I guess ensemble. Well, I I really do enjoy the string quartet life. That's the first thing that I really fell in love with. So I do. String quartets have a very beautiful place in my heart. Um, and aside from that, the I guess genre-wise, I'm always fascinated in the jazz world or like pop music that fuses jazz. And it's because it, I just don't know a lot about it. So it's fascinating to me. So probably that, I guess, in terms of ensemble and style. Yeah. Okay. And then favorite composer. Hmm. I, I like Mendelssohn probably. Okay. You know, okay. I, a lot of his, I mean, I guess definitely he has the dark stuff like the Opus 80 string quartets, but you know, like some of his, happier moments in his work is really so happy. And, you know, I associate myself as somebody who is generally happy and optimistic about life. So it resonates and I definitely enjoy it. But he his but when he hits the lows of his life, you know, yeah. it's so incredibly heart wrenching, you know, to contrast from kind of where he can be from his like very happy moments. And when you kind of experience him crash down to the lows on a, you know, in his personal life that resulted in a lot of these darker movements. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, it like resonates with me, I suppose. So it's, I really do like a lot of Mendelssohn stuff, whether if it's string quartets, his cello sonata is beautiful um, or his songs you know, so I guess, yeah, yeah that is <laughs> probably what comes to mind for now. Okay, that's good. I, I love Mendelssohn, too. Like, it's great. His quartets. Oh, my gosh. His quartets are <laughs> incredible. Yeah, his Opus 44s are great. His 12, Opus 12, of course, the 13s, it's a classic. Opus 80 is like 
I would say it's just like rock music. It's like <laughs> incredible. It's just like let's go like the whole time. But it's yeah. so stormy. It's just like storm central. I'm like, wow, man, like it's crazy. Somebody man. significant died in it's, his life. Uh, it's incredibly yeah. dramatic and emotional. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Definitely. Okay. I guess kind of the last question would be, do you have an actionable tip for the audience? So actual tip actionable oh <laughs> i was like an actual oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> we just blow that on my midwestern <laughs> midwestern right? actionable <laughs> tip i think uh when you're when you're creating content i think one of the things that you can't do in terms of like the first actionable thing is you can look up what people are searching so there are ways to there are a lot of websites um that give you this information um, or even the simple Google search, the, the I guess the autocomplete, the autofill option, where if you type in just like cello and then see what fills out the rest of it, um, YouTube is the same thing. Keeping in mind that YouTube and Google are the two most used search engines in the world. So figuring out what people are searching Four is a great place to start if you're feeling a little stuck about what what do I want to make? What kind of content do I want to create? You know, and it went to find your niche, then you can start to figure out, you know, what once you figure out what people are searching, then you can create content to tailor towards that. Then the chances of it getting consumed or doing well, I think, increases because sometimes we create things without doing the research and then we put in hours of work and we put it out to the world and crickets you know like nothing happens and it's like why isn't everybody <laughs> consuming this i worked so hard kind of thing yeah. definitely it has happened way too many times in my life but mm. it does help to do a little bit of research to figure out what people are searching for then cater towards that i think a lot of educational content is successful in some kind of capacity because when people consume content and they walk away from it feeling a little smarter they gain something is i think always a great place i think to yeah. start yeah for sure it provides value just right off the bat you know it's like let me yeah. teach you something yeah i think you know just like the value-based thing you know you just want to create that kind of relationship with the audience you know for them to give their time then you in return giving something back that's worth their time it's always just that kind of relationship that you want to keep in mind sometimes we get in the mindset that you know because we work hard and we you know put out something we deserve like the attention or like the numbers or the likes or the follows or something like that but you know that that sense of entitlement is it gets in the way a lot of the times so i think keeping in mind that it's it's a two-way street and it's a relationship that you're trying to form with an audience, not a one-way thing. That's some great advice. Okay, where can people find you? People can find me, yeah, on Instagram uh, with Ken James Kubota. So it's just kind of my full name is the username. If you want to find me on TikTok, same username, Ken James Kubota. <laughs> uh, on YouTube, uh, the channel name is called JHM Jams. So if you just type that in, it's just one word, JHM Jams. You'll find like over 500 videos there of covers. And my band, Empire Wild, if you want to check out that 
the Instagram is also Empire Wild. You can search Empire Wild on YouTube or just search us on any music streaming platform that you know you listen to. We have our debut album called Paper Seasons out. So you can stream that pretty much on any device, on any platform that you use. So you'll be able to find me somewhere. You know? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, it was great having you on the show today. And I learned a lot and I'm certain everyone else did too. So I'm thanks glad, for being here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Before the Stage podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the show today. Don't miss an episode and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you have any questions or topics for Before the Stage, feel free to write me at beforethestage at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on the show. Hey there, do you run a podcast? Well, here is a podcast secret you might like. The podcast editors. This team of editors help before the stage create this quality content for you. It's a vital part of the podcast team that keeps the show going. If you need help with editing or want one last thing to do with managing a podcast, contact the podcast editors today. Check out their services at thepodcasteditors.net. Also, it will be linked down in the show notes. Thanks for listening.